James Altucher. Stephen H. Dubner. Would you like a question today? Yeah, what's your middle name? Uh, it's not Harry. I do have a brother whose middle name is Harry. Really? And his initials are PhD, Peter Harry Dubner. Oh, that's funny. Really good. Did you do that on purpose? No, my, uh, he was named after my, uh, his middle name came from my mom's dad who had just died, uh. Harry. My middle name is Joseph, so I'm SJD, and I grew up in, I was born in Ellis Hospital in Schenectady, New York. So that stood for Schenectady Juvenile Delinquent. And now we've talked about this before, but I'm curious if since we've last talked about it, have you yet read the classic science fiction book, It Came From Schenectady? I haven't. I, I, I probably should because if I don't, you're going to keep asking. Right. Every few months I'll ask. <laughs> it's a deal. James, I have a question for you today. Tell me. It is 2016, and there happens to be, I don't know if you've noticed what's going on, but there's a presidential campaign happening. And, uh, By the way, I haven't been paying that much attention to it. So, for instance, I don't know who all the candidates are. And the reason is, A, it doesn't really matter for me to know right now. It's just kind of this gossip thing. It's like reading People mm-hmm. magazine. Like, what's Kim Kardashian doing today? Who's still in the Republican presidential race? It doesn't affect me personally today. It might affect me personally later on when we get closer to the general election. That's a different argument. But I don't really know too much about the presidential election. I generally side... Although I'm free to have an opinion on it. You are free to have an opinion. I generally am with you on that. I mean, that's generally the way I like to approach it, even though being in the, quote, media industry, you kind of I kind of feel like I need to pay a little attention, although I tend to not want to. But this year, it's been a little bit unavoidable. And to me, the most noteworthy uh, development so far is how the political commentary class as incredibly stupid as I've always thought of them before, they are even stupider and even arroganter. I know arroganter is not a word, but... um, More arrogant. No, they're arroganter (laughs) because there's this whole idea about prediction and what the pundits know, right? And I've railed against this in writing and on radio for years that predicting the future is really hard. It's the future. Although, although were you impressed, like Nate Silver with, I forgot the name of his site. Yeah, 538. Didn't he call like every county last election? uh, I don't think every county, every state. So what Nate does is really smart, but it's empirical. And he doesn't go, he doesn't make predictions outside of what the empirical, what, what the data say are pretty clear. So in that case, when there's an actual general presidential election and there's a whole lot of polling data, that starts to get really, really, really micro and granular, as they like to say, if you aggregate that data in a smart way and weight it in a smart way, which is what Nate does, then you can come up with some pretty good stuff because it's data that is very close to reflecting the reality. When, however, you've got people going on CNN and CNBC and Fox News and Fox Business News and all the others eight months before anything has happened, and making mountains out of molehills regularly and taking whatever development of the day is happening and telling you, uh, citizen listener, what I think is going to become of this. Well, all of them said basically months ago that Trump was an entertaining joke that nobody would ever cast a vote for and that Bernie Sanders 
would get fewer votes than if Larry David were running for office. And now, by the, the way, same- I said both of those things. Huh? The, the Trump one, I actually wrote an article about <laughs> and explained why. All right, so you're just as stupid as everybody. I, Congratulations. I am just, a, I am but just here's as stupid my, as everyone. But here's the worst. Now that Trump and Sanders have had a, have done very well in some circumstances and have gained a lot of momentum, now the very same pundits who told us that there's no way that either of these bozos could get any traction, now they all come up with all the reasons for why that has happened. And it's it just reveals, if nothing else, the hubris of our ability to predict. So all of this gets me wanting to ask you the question about not those individuals necessarily, but the topic of the presidency. This question comes from a fellow, maybe, named Harris Arshad, who is at Harris, H-A-R-I-S, Arshad, A-R-S-H-A-D, who wrote to us, he tweeted to us, at QOD, which is our Twitter handle, which anyone can write to us and ask us questions. And Harris Arshad asks, how important is the president? How important is the president, James? I think the presidency is not important at all. Like, think about it. In your daily life today, what has happened to you today? Just, and again, it's different for each person, the answer to this. But what has happened to you personally today that changed because of who has been the president? I couldn't agree with you more. Like, let's say um, one guy won, you know, let's say Mitt Romney won last election instead of Barack Obama. How would your life have been different today for you personally? I couldn't agree with you more in general. And I... Um, even like issues like, uh, uh, let's say whether you're pro-choice or pro-life, right? You know that takes time to like well, ch- Supreme Court justice. And by the way, all the Republican presidents, Reagan and the Bushes, they didn't really change the Supreme Court to change pro-choice to to pro-life, right? You know. So if you were um, a presidential historian, which neither of us are, you could do a pretty good job of looking at all the different powers the president has and kind of breaking them down and ranking them in terms of how unilaterally you can do something. So it is true that if I'm the president, I can appoint a Supreme Court justice. Now, what's not true is that I can control that person for the rest of his or her career and influence how they're going to vote on the things that I most care about, right? Then there are some other unilateral things, which is, this one struck me as kind of weird. The president, as I read it, has a lot more authority in the foreign portfolio than in the domestic portfolio. Okay, but that's actually a right that's not in the Constitution that they sort of seized over time. Hey, it's good to be president, yeah. Yeah, starting with essentially the Korean War. You know, they they basically kind of bit by bit send, we could send over military advisors. Oh, we could send over people to protect those advisors. You know, so now we're in, what, like 200 countries. We have military. So, and the president is the head of the military. So, I think that was a a right that was more taken Mm -hmm. rather than given. Right, but that said, it exists. In other words, if you're the president and James, you decide that we need to declare war on um, Costa Rica, well, I can't do it. Only Congress can well, do it. Well, you can't but declare can a war, it, but you can start a war. I can, yeah, I can do a military action. You like can have we, a military action. Like we right. did in Iraq and Afghanistan. But that interestingly, you can do that, but you can't. I mean, look at the long list of things you can't do in this country, right? First of all, states have a lot of uh, lawmaking ability. Um, we're seeing recently that President Obama's move to limit coal plant emissions, which looked like he found a kind of presidential loophole as a way to do that via the EPA, the Supreme Court came out and put the kibosh on that. Hey, James and I need to put our heads together on this one. We'll be right back. I can tell you this for a fact from experience. Building a website can be tough. 
And even if you know your way around coding, creating something that looks good and works well is a time-consuming affair. Whether it's for a business site, a portfolio, a restaurant, or whatever else, in this day and age, you probably need a website. Well, lucky for us, Squarespace makes it easy to build beautiful websites without breaking a sweat. Squarespace provides simple, powerful, and beautiful websites that look professionally designed regardless of skill level, no coding required, which is key. Not only does Squarespace provide you with intuitive and easy-to-use tools to create your website with, Squarespace also has state-of-the-art technology powering your site to ensure security and stability. And you know you can trust in Squarespace for your website needs when millions of people and some of the most respected brands in the world trust them as well. I personally used to own a company that made websites for entertainment companies, and I got out of the game once great companies like Squarespace started making great-looking websites so easily. I could no longer charge $75,000 for a site that basically you could now do almost for free. Seriously, you can't beat the ease and simplicity of Squarespace. Squarespace gives you 24-7 online support and a beautiful website. Start a trial with no credit card required and start building your website today. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, though, make sure to use the offer code QUESTION to get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for Question of the Day. We thank Squarespace for your support of Question of the Day. So, uh, like Obamacare, maybe you could say, has changed the lives of a couple million people, six million people, something like that. Yeah, but in terms of the power of the president, him or herself, I would argue, and I gather you agree, so this argument isn't much of an argument, uh, is much, 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 much more limited than many people assume. I ascribe this to what I think of as the great man theory of history, which Thomas Carlyle wrote about many centuries, many de- a few centuries ago. And this was the kind of belief he believed that Every, you know, few generations or few eras, there came along a great man in his view and in his time, there were no great women yet, um, who was so superior to others, you know, and he included everyone from, I don't remember who the modern, the people of his era were, but he included like Muhammad was one who have such a different way of thinking or leading whatever that they changed the course of human history, that it's not about mass movements, that it's about the occasional ordained by history ordained by God, great man. And I think that theory, which I think has held sway in history for most of our history and in fact holds sway for many, 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 many people today, is a kind of like uh, almost like a a dream uh, psychology where people need to feel like this protection. They need to feel like they live in a world where someone is a person with that kind of unbelievable authority. And I think a lot of people think about the U.S. president like that. Like, if only we can get our person in. And I think that that was a very predominant thought with Obama. A lot of people thought, if only we can get our guy in, he's going to so radically change so many things that I care about. And if you're not on aligned with him politically, you might have hated that. But as it turns out, I think the power of the president is unbelievably limited, and we delude ourselves every four years into thinking otherwise. I agree. You look at, like, we're we're still in—we're probably in more military actions now than before. Uh, we're still in Afghanistan and Iraq, for instance. Yeah, much more limited in Iraq. Afghanistan This whole well. ISIS thing is all over northern Africa. It's yeah, but— uh, Well, look, okay, so here's a good example. Uh, President Obama definitely has a different engagement versus disengagement view of the world than did President Bush. So I'm not saying that there aren't big differences between 
them as leaders. Yeah, and I'm not saying he did this or didn't do this. I'm just saying things haven't really changed that much. History kind of like moves along with or without the presidency. I think also this great man theory, how do we know they did something great? Like, is George Washington so great uh, that, of course, he you know went to war for this country to create it, but is it so great that we did that? I don't know. You know, we basically protected the tax rates you for and a bunch I would, of guys you in and Boston. I would, you and I would have prettier accents if he hadn't. I know. I wish I had a nice, smooth British accent mm, there. I wish he did, too. You know, people argue this about Gandhi, too. Was it so great for India that they left kind of a, a more global civilization and, and went on its own? And then there was the bloodiest wars ever between the Muslims and the Hindus after Gandhi got independence for India. It's interesting. And just as I was complaining a little while ago that the pundits then will explain ex post why that was the kind of either foreordained or the right way or the important way for things to turn out, the fact is that it could have gone the other way and they would have come up with explanations for that as right. well. History is written by the winners is another thing we all are taught. And so, yeah, okay, if 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 Washington or Gandhi or whoever is a winner, then we all, re- again, in retrospect, say, yeah, these guys were great. But they did things, too, that were not so great that comes up later on in history. So I'm kind of bummed that we agree so much, only because it's fun to disagree a little bit more. But in response to the question, you know, the, how much the president matters and so on, the reason that this question resonates with me and the reason that I've argued strongly that the president doesn't matter anywhere nearly as much is not just for the sake of the argument. It's not to tear down the office of the presidency, which I think is a, an incredibly important office, Why? even even if only uh, ceremonially. Because uh, because I think the hierarchies work pretty well. Okay, but the great thing about a question like this, though, is to be skeptical. So we sort of view the Constitution almost as religion. And we view, uh, many people view the American way of doing things politically as, again, kind of religious, like other countries sort of follow our path and set up their governments how we do. And I think it's good to always be skeptical of, of these I, things. I agree with you, but I didn't express it well. The reason I think that having an elected or appointed or seized <laughs> office at the top, the reason it's important is because humans still seem to want to organize themselves in a way where there is leadership. I'm not saying that's a right thing or a wrong thing, but I think that um, it's not a coincidence that just about every country on the earth has a leader because rightly or wrongly, we do um, organize ourselves by family, by tribe, by group, whatever, and it's kind of a pyramid and somebody's got to sit at the top. Now, could it be entirely wonderfully different in another format? Maybe. Don't know. But the fact that humans seem to have that inclination and grasp to that historical format indicates to me that there's a real preference for it there. But Sure. That's true. Because that's the nature of all primates, right? Is to organize themselves from the alpha male to the omega male and female too. So that's just like in our genes, right? There's no tribe that doesn't have that. And so that's kind of a little bit what's happening. But to the original question, what did the president do at all in the past eight years that has affected your life today? I think very few people can actually say, oh, he did this, so that's why I did this today. Yeah. And the thing that bothers me about it is, again, not to tear down the office of the presidency and say that it doesn't matter or that it's so much less important than we think it is, although I I would say that that is true. My problem is that every four years, you see people have this incredibly unrealistic expectation about how their lives and the world will change for the better or worse based on one single person moving into a new house in DC. Yeah. And I think that if we collectively decided that, you know what, 
whether you want to pay attention to the election or not, if you look at it as entertainment and you get off on it, great. If you're in journalism and that's how you make your money covering it, even though you have no idea what you're talking about, great, fine. That's all fine. But can we do this? Can we collectively decide not to delude ourselves into thinking that the election of that one person moving into that one house is going to necessarily change the shape of history, even in a very small way, and that instead we should empower ourselves or choose ourselves, in the words of my friend James Altucher, to make the changes that we want on our level. I think that would be a lot healthier. I I 100% agree. Damn, I hate to keep agreeing, James, but um, it's been good talking to you today. We'll hear a clip from the next QOD right after this. What movies deserve to be in the all-time canon of great films? How about American Beauty? What struck me watching American Beauty is how much it felt like a period piece, even though it's only 16 years old. Forrest Gump. This movie gets painted as a conservative movie, but this movie just hates everybody. Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Amy Heckerling cares about teenagers and understands teenagers. Star Wars. C-3PO is terrible, and uh, he treats his best friend really poorly all the time. But why and is he his best friend? They're just two robots. This Are is- my blender and my toaster friend? Join the conversation on The Canon with new episodes every Monday. Listen on Wolf Pop, Howl, or your favorite podcast app. Here's a peek at what we have in store for you next time on Question of the Day. How does one learn to have both extremely fast yet legible handwriting? I want to know your thoughts on this. So first of all, how does one learn to have both extremely fast yet legible handwriting? But I would also invite you to consider the question, a broader one, James, which is, what do you think about handwriting generally? 